0: I'm not sure there will be anything like the traditional work way anymore. I don't think it'll be a new normal unless we just define the new normal as something that's constantly changing.
1: There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not.
0: The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual.
1: The way we work has changed forever and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Labby, Chief People Officer at TopTal. In the last couple of years, the number of individual investors in the country has skyrocketed. These are people who choose when and how to invest their money without the help of professional advisors and who mostly do their own homework in order to make their decisions. That's where MarketWise, where Cynthia Cherry is CHRO, comes in. MarketWise was founded in 1999 to level the playing field for self-directed investors, also known as DIY investors and it now offers research and education to more than 15 million subscribers. When Cynthia joined the company in 2018, MarketWise was growing quickly. It now owns a dozen independently managed research companies, which allows subscribers access to many approaches to market research. She has since led the HR function as the company expanded from just under 300 employees in 2017 to more than 800 currently. She was also part of the leadership team when the company went public last year. Cynthia is no stranger to managing through change. For 18 years, she led the HR function at Oberkaler, Baltimore's fourth largest law firm, helping to steer it through a merger with law firm Baker Donaldson, where she specialized in executive coaching, employer relations, compliance, and benefits. She earned her bachelor's degree in psychology at the University of Maryland College Park. I'm so excited to talk to her today. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you very much, Michelle. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, first off, so you graduated from University of Maryland and you have a bachelor's degree in psychology. So I majored in political science, although I feel like a psychologist, so I get that completely. How has your degree in psychology helped you to be a stronger HR leader?
0: You know, Michelle, I feel like my degree is relevant every day. Uh, HR really is the, the business side of psychology. And that's how I see it. So as an HR leader, you know, I think it's critically important to have an understanding of, of people and, and what makes them tick and what it is that helps them work the way that they they do best. Did you go in knowing psychology? I went in knowing psychology, but I didn't go in knowing HR. So I did some internships in clinical environments and I knew quickly that I did not want that. Um, but I knew I wanted to help people, and I knew I wanted to work with people, and so that's when I started thinking ab- about HR. Um, and I'm I'm glad that I did. I mean, I, I wouldn't change a thing if I had a do-over.
1: So your first job though was a recruiter in law firms in Washington D.C. So how did you decide to take that psychology degree and go into recruiting? So at the time, I don't know that I made the connection between psychology and
0: recruiting. So I think that aha moment kind of came a little bit later. But it it was a great way to start out. And I knew I wanted to help people. And I, I knew I wanted to, to work with people. So I did see recruiting as a terrific path for both of those things. It was a great foundation for a career in, in HR also, just kind of starting at the, at the beginning of the employee life cycle, if you will.
1: How did you decide to make that pivot from recruiting into HR and, and how did that change kind of your influence? Like what, what was your decision making there?
0: I, I think that I just am the kind of person that doesn't like to stay in her lane. And so I really wanted to, to touch it all. And recruiting, although I found interesting, and of course, I think is extremely important, I, I wanted more of the variety. And I think I wanted to be able to reach across all the functions of HR. And so I ended up kind of Moving into an HR manager role that allowed me to keep doing some recruiting, um, but really kind of branch out and and work directly with employees while they were you know kind of after that initial stage and help them integrate and be successful as contributors to the company.
1: So to shift a little bit, so we have this great reshuffle going on in this economy of people. First, everyone was snatched. Now it's starting to shift and now we're watching companies do layoffs. And so it's kind of a little, not sure where we're going. It's become harder for companies to retain top talent. So prior to joining MarketWise, I know you spent 18 years at Oberkaler, as you mentioned. So what was it about that company that made you stay there for so long?
0: I mean, Ober was such a fine firm. I mean, it really was. And just exceptional people there. They were they were wonderful to me in the sense that they rewarded my performance with an opportunity to take on certain leadership roles. So I I had a lot of professional growth there. Um, I certainly credit Ober for my foundation in in compliance because that is a, a strong suit for me. So, you know, I think it's, it's all of those things and, and the people that, that made me stay for, for so long because it, it, was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful ethical firm um, in a thoughtful environment.
1: Well, that's your family after being there for that long.
0: So. I felt that way. I felt that way. Yeah, I did. Leaving was
1: hard. What did you take from there then about culture and this, you know, retention and and the ability that you wanted to stay there for so long? Like, what did you take to market wise? What lessons did you take about retention that you're using today? Oh, so many, so many lessons. I, I I think maybe the biggest takeaway was that
0: you know when you you hire someone, you you hire the whole person, right? Not just the the professional side of of. That person. So I I think the important takeaway for me was to work to create an environment where people could could be themselves, right? And I think that when they can be themselves, and they can reach the highest level of of professional achievement. So I think Ober also taught me kind of you, you get what you you give um, when it comes to working with employees and when you give trust you you get trust and when you give respect you you get respect and all of that is is kind of circular so th- those were some of the lessons that that I took with me for sure
1: absolutely trust is key
0: trust is key and and I think um as additional kind of learning that stemmed from that I, I think I also learned that that flexibility is key too I think it's important to be flexible when and where you can and when you can't that's okay just explain it i think context matters to people and so when you talk to them and you explain things and then, then
1: that can make all the difference i was just thinking when you said flexibility when you say flexibility i like i go to remote often yeah,
0: but there it doesn't just have to stop there, right? I think there's so many ways that we can be flexible with people because I think people need different things to do their best work. And so I think it, it's very short-sighted of employers to think that people have to work one single way. And, and maybe there's a business reason or a business case for having certain limitations, of course. But again, I think it's when and where you can be look for ways to give that latitude to people. And I think that that pays dividends, in the long run, we absolutely have people working um, hybrid, working remotely, um, working in the office. I work in the office most of the time, and, and I love it. You know, I never um, set out to work in HR and be in my basement, which is where I was for a couple of years during the pandemic. So I was like, get me out of here, um, you know. So I I like being in the office, but some people find it a distraction. Um, you know, whatever it is. So we've got some of our companies coming back with some um, kind of hybrid requirements for in-office work that relate to some positions. So it's, it's a real mixture right now. We're, we're kind of still in that transition and figuring out what, what makes sense. I don't know that there'll ever be any permanency to any of this,
1: right? Like it's just kind of all a work in progress. Absolutely. So notable companies today, I know people have outstanding benefits and they're still finding it challenging to retain employees. For 10 years, let alone like the 18 that you had. So what are the keys that market-wise are are focused on for retention in 2022?
0: You know, again, I think it kind of goes back to, to flexibility, um, looking for ways to be flexible. But at the end of the day, I, I don't I don't think you can be everything to everyone. So I think it's a matter of being clear about your company identity and articulating what that is so that you can be honest during the interview process in describing what it's like to work here and then what happens is when reality you know real experiences align with the information that we've shared during the interview process i think that that sets a foundation for again trust and that's how you start out on on the right foot so i think some of that um, is critically important to attracting the right people. Right? It's not just about attracting everybody, because this is not an environment for for everybody. No, no environment is. And quite frankly, we don't want to convince anyone to co- to come here. We want to be authentic and honest, and then look for a, a real a match in, in that regard. So, our strategy is is to be honest. We love talking about what we do. I think that comes across. And I, and I think it
1: sells it itself. Absolutely. So what drew you there specifically? How did you leave the company you were at for 18 years? Well, I, I left the company I
0: was at for 18 years because post-merger, my position was was different. And I really wanted to go back into a role that was primarily HR. Um, following the merger, I had taken on some additional responsibilities um, on top of of HR, and I, and I I really wanted my primary focus to remain HR. So I was looking um, for a special opportunity, and this ended up being that special opportunity because it was a build. So it was a ground up build. It was come here, come to MarketWise, and build an HR team, build infrastructure where there is none, and and that was an opportunity for kind of put me to put my touch, my stamp on. Um, on how this group would be shaped. So that was a very special opportunity for me. It was challenging uh, to get off the ground. I, I, I must tell you that. I have these very clear memories of uh, the first person I hired was, of course, a director of payroll because paying people was critically important as a first step. So I have these memories of the two of us, you know, late at night, kind of working at this frenetic pace to stand up payroll because gosh, if we didn't get, pay people, I, I think that would have been a, a real catastrophe. So anyway, that was our first mission. But that's that's why I
1: took uh, the role. And I really am
0: I'm glad that I did.
1: So tell us a little bit about MarketWise and its mission, because it's kind of a unique company. It is. It's it's unique in many ways. But of course, I'll admit that I'm, I'm fairly biased about
0: it. So Um, MarketWise is is a multi-brand platform. We're a subscription-based business model, and we do provide financial research and software tools and analytical tools to our subscribers. And our subscribers are individual investors, and and most of them are self-directed investors. So they look to us, and we're glad that they do, for information to guide their personal investment decisions. You know, we have more than one hundred and sixty products that focus on a broad range of investments. and our subscribers lean on our information um, to give them the confidence uh, to to make their investment decisions. So so our mission is to educate really and arm people with information. that that's what we do and and we sure love doing it.
1: So you're kind of an expert, I would say, at M&A because you went through it at the law firm and now you've gone through it here. Uh, I know what it's like. I remember a time where I went, I think we acquired 23 companies in 18 months. Wow. uh, One of my previous roles, which is a little... 23. Some were like five people, but some were 80 people. So it's a little, you know, it gets a little chaotic to have people uh, wondering who these people are that are coming in and everyone has a different mission and a different benefit plan and a different you know, vernacular. So I know, you know, you've grown a lot through M&A. So can you tell us a little bit about one, you know, how, how you've gone through the M&A process and how you approach it when you have all these folks coming in? Um, What have you learned? And then, you know, what does the structure look like? You know,
0: sometimes a merger is kind of a bit like having company over, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're having four people or, you know, 25 people for dinner. It's just extra place settings. But but the thought that goes into planning the meal um, and, you know, it, it's all the same. So from the size of the merger, um, it, it doesn't matter as much because you, but you want to approach every merger with a lot of care because the truth is that, that people worry. I, I think that a lot of people are, are wired to think the worst. So sometimes the greatest challenge of a merger can be helping people find the the good in it. Really. And when I think back to the merger that took place between Oberkaler and Baker Donaldson, you know, I I knew people would believe what I said and I knew that they trusted me and so I took that responsibility very seriously. So I think when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, it's about being honest with people, being sensitive to the fact that there's a lot of anxiety of the unknown. And I think it's incumbent on HR leaders to share information that diffuses that. Like I said, I think people are, are, are wired to, to think the worst sometimes. So you can't over-communicate. It's simply not possible. So, you know, if I had to give a piece of advice, it would be when the time comes, you know, it's about transparency and communication that will keep people calm, that will keep people productive and focused and and keeping the faith a little bit that there's good to to come of this. Right. That's that's what I can say about that. I, I think you really have to approach it with great care. With great care.
1: So, how do you blend the culture of MarketWise with the culture or subcultures of each each of these research companies? Like, how do you keep everybody aligned and feeling like they're still part of one greater company? That's a great question. You know,
0: I think we have an overarching culture that's very entrepreneurial, um, driven. Curiosity is really valued here, and I think that that feeds into all of our affiliate businesses but at the end of the day we don't set that culture we we encourage we want our affiliate businesses to establish their their own subculture right so they should be able to drive that and then i see it as my team's mission to support that um but but i think it's up to them to to those business leaders to really to drive that and when it comes to let's just say a company that's being acquired or a merger, I, I would never tell another company, you, we want your culture to be like ours, right? So to me, I think it's about um, add and, and not fit. I, I think it's about add and not fit when it comes to culture and companies coming together. So,
1: That is a great way to put it. I like that. I might steal that sometime. So I really like that. (laughs) Uh, The number of market-wise employees then, as I mentioned earlier, has tripled in your four-year tenure. What would you tell HR leaders who are leading such an aggressive scaling to focus on? Stay committed to your process, to the integrity of your process.
0: And in spite of the pressure for speed, if you cut corners and make shortcuts it will come back to haunt you it will cost you in in the long run and so i i would say stay true to your process stay com- committed to that because it's it's never about getting people on board it's about getting the right people on board so Again, I think when you have a scale, you, you you just need to stay with your process, make sure you're you're doing your due diligence, you're going about it with the same degree of thoughtfulness and precision that you do under any other circumstance.
1: So given that there is this fierce competition in the market as you know you mentioned about how do you what's your North Star for attracting and retaining this talent? So
0: because we have so many different companies they have different needs and a lot of moving parts so it's it's a little bit hard for me to say we have one north star because a lot of times we take a customized approach right so it depends on the role it depends on the candidate it depends on the affiliate and one of the things that i'm really proud of is that my team is is willing to take that customized approach and say you know what should we do in, in this case let's let's have a unique strategy for this particular situation but but there is a recurring theme i will say that even though it might not be a north star there is a recurring theme and and i think it's about creating an environment where people do work that matters within the company and for our subscribers so we have here a very candid and very casual environment down to the way we dress which by the way i love and so there's no fluff we're just regular people and we, you know, we do what we do and it, it kind of comes across, I I think pretty organically and pretty authentically. So, you know, I've worked in a lot of different places and I think that, that this place is, is unique in the sense that it's not stuffy and it's, and it's not buttoned up and we talk together and we generate ideas. So, and I honestly, I think that's, that's the future of the, of the workplace. I, I think it's about taking that customized approach And I think it's about creating an environment where the people who work with you find that work to be meaningful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you do a lot of thinking about employee happiness and appreciation. And I know that you were named Baltimore Sun's top employer for employee appreciation what kind of strategies did you use or, or what are some of the success stories that helped you earn this accolade? It was very
0: exciting. You know, we ran down to the stage like we were on The prices Right or something when they called our name. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very exciting. And um, my team was there and they tell you that you've made the list. So you know that you're somewhere kind of on this kind of hundred company list, but you don't know where you fall until you get there. And so, you know, they're reading off all the company names and we haven't heard our our company's name be called. So it was pretty exciting when we got down to, like, you know, the number three and we're all looking at each other across the table and, you know, we're texting each other like, oh, my God, it was very exciting in the moment. So that that happened for one of our companies, you know, that award comes from employee feedback alone. So that makes it exponentially more meaningful than anything else, because it's what our employees have to say. I can't say it's a single strategy or um or one thing, but I do think people see this as an environment where curiosity and and creativity are are appreciated, and where hard work and and good work is is recognized. So I think that's a big part of it. I think we make it known that we want to hear ideas. It doesn't matter what your position is. We want ideas from from everyone. And we try not to have a lot of red tape around here. So I I hope that that's what went into that recognition and the feedback that they gave that made us eligible for that honor.
1: So what do you all do to promote the happiness then? So clearly your employees are happy, right? They feel appreciated. They have a flexible, casual work environment. Do you pull them to find out? I know you've talked about being direct. What is the forum that you use? Or do you have recognition programs? Or, or what type of things do you all do to more formally recognize folks or listen to them?
0: So I don't think we put a lot of formalities around it. I'll, I'll be honest. We, we don't have a lot of programs. I, I think it's just about paying attention. And when people work hard or they achieve something great, we call it out. Um, we reward them um, with recognition, with... Um, you know, financial reward. So I, I think it boils down to, to paying attention and, and making sure people feel um like we're we're noticing what their contributions. So we we don't have a lot of formal programs in, in that respect. My team in particular tries to seek out feedback wherever we can. So even in the candidate process, you know, if there's a candidate that decides to take another offer, we want to understand from that candidate what their experience was like in their meetings with us so that we can pivot and make changes based on that feedback. And, you know, we try to do that with our employees as well. I mean, what did you think about that? What are your ideas about this? You know, we're really programmed to ask a lot of open-ended questions. And so that's the part about being in the office that I think brings some of the greatest value and that I miss is kind of the the conversations that take place by happenstance. So we can say, Oh, did you see that, you know, article? What did you what did you think about that? Or "I, I saw the piece of work that you did. It was terrific. You know, what was the hardest part about it? So I think again, it boils down to just paying attention. Um, And don't just work with your head down, you know, lift your head up and engage other people and, and, and take notice in terms of all that goes into making this place work. There's, it comes from a effort in many directions in many forms. And I, I think we have some of the absolute best employees in the market. That's great.
1: Yeah, Top tell, we we focus a lot on the future of work. I mean, we are we've been around for 12 and a half going on 13 years. We've always been fully remote globally. So a lot of what we talk about is the future of work and the flexibility and talking to our candidates about the flexible work environment, the trust, the what our culture is like. Um, you know, and so there seems to just be it's like a ping-pong match of you know, we need more people, and now we don't need more people, and now companies are are hiring, now they're slowing, and, and all of this mix of things, right? So so what do you see in store for the future of work?
0: Yeah, I think those are the companies that are gonna do well. Um, the companies that are constantly evaluating and assessing what's working and and taking a look in inside and looking for ways to Give people that kind of latitude to decide how they want to work in, in a way that works within the framework of your business. I mean, everybody has their own structure, uh, of course. But again, then I think it boils down to context. So if there's something that you, you can't be flexible with, then let, let's talk about what that is. But as far as the future of work goes, I think there's got to be a greater partnership. Between employers and employees, where there's a, a great dialogue going on about what, what works and and how both employers and employees think things can be best positioned or situated or, or set up or, or organized. So um, I think that kind of collaboration is is going to be really important on, on a go forward basis. I I'm not sure there will be any tra- anything like the traditional workway anymore, right? I don't think it'll be a new new normal unless we just define the new normal as something that's constantly changing. That's the guarantee for sure. But it, it's becoming more complicated. Um, the job market's been very very interesting, and like you said, it it was kind of wild. We had this great resignation, and now we seem to have a, a slowing down in in some. Sectors, um, and and that's that's what happens. But we've got to take lessons learned from each stage of the of the market and what's happened in our world, and and adjust our businesses. So I, I think that HR can be part of that conversation too. You know, we have a way to influence the success of businesses by making sure we're paying attention to to people and how how they want to work and how we can enable them to work. So I, I think it's about that open dialogue.
1: Absolutely. Well, Cynthia Cherry, CHRO of MarketWise, thank you so much for your time and your insights today. It's just been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Michelle Labby. You can find much more information about the talent economy on Staffing.com and TopTel.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.